welcome to this continuous study in Job and his relationship with the Lord. I'll be in chapters 12, 13, and 14 today of Job. Yep, buckle up. <laughs> Three chapters. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of this word? I'll be reading the first few verses of chapter 12. Then Job replied, Doubtless you are the only people who matter, and wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you, and I am not inferior to you. Who, who does not know all these things? I have become a laughing stock to my friends, though I called on God, and he answered, A mere laughing stock, though righteous and blameless. Those who are at ease have contempt for misfortune at the fate of those whose feet are slipping. The tents of marauders are undisturbed, and those who provoke God are secure. Those God has in his hand. But ask the animals, and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky, they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Does he not ear test words as the tongue taste food is not wisdom found among the aged does not long life bring understanding let's pray our most gracious father open our hearts and minds to your truth lord god impart your wisdom to us today so that in these words as we see the struggles of job and these three friends lord god may we may you impart your wisdom to us your truth to us that we would be very receptive to what you have to say and responsive Lord in a positive way that honors and glorifies you thank you for what you're doing in Jesus name amen boy here Job's three friends Eliphaz, Bildad and Zophar Zophar was the last of the three friends to really light into Job and that's exactly what he did he lit into Job with everything that he had, both barrels blazing. And as he finished lighting into Job, the smoke was still coming out of the barrel of that gun that he fired. And here Job responds, and he doesn't respond politely. He responds the way that Zophar responded to him. Job replied, his response Doubtless, you are the only people who matter. Don't you love that? You think you're all that in a bag of chips. You think you're the only people in the face of this earth that matter. Do you ever come across people like that? Yeah, you do. Make sure that you're not one of those people. Make sure that by what you say or what you do does not infer or proclaim to somebody else that you're one of these people who are in that minority of the only people that matter. You see, you think the world revolves around you, Job is saying. When I, I had a mission trip to Russia one year and we were working with orphanages and I had a lot of teenagers. And I told them, I said, when in our orientation our training for the mission team I was trying to help these teenagers understand you know you're here to serve it's not about you it's not about your comfort 
It's not about your preferences. It's not about your likes or your dislikes. It's not about any of those things. So when I see you acting, behaving, or speaking like it is about you, you're going to see this symbol. And that simply means the world revolves around you. And it's not about you. And Job might as well be saying that symbol to these three friends. Doubtless you are the only people who matter. And then he says, wisdom will die with you. You think you're the smartest people on the face of this earth and that when you die, it's over. Wisdom is gone. Boy, you're talking about sarcasm. Wow. So who died and made you God is what he's saying in today's vernacular. But he says, but I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. In chapter 13, verse 2, he says the same thing. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. I am not only as smart as you are, but Job's saying, Actually, I'm a lot smarter than you are. You just don't realize it. Because in your pomposity, in your arrogance, you have assumed that you're so much wiser than I am because you have made decisions or jumped to conclusions that I haven't. So, he's saying, you are so insensitive to me that I have become a joke. Verse 4 says, I have become a laughing stock to my friends. You, you've made me a joke to my friends. Through your incessant behavior, your conclusions, your assumptions, you've made me a joke to my friends, my family. And then he says, you're, because of your insensitivity and making a joke of me, you're actually making fun of a righteous man, a godly man. You're making fun of one of God's own servants. So be careful, folks, when you make insinuations, innuendos, when you declare somebody to be something that they may not be at all, something less than what they feel they are. Be careful with that. So, so far, believe that wisdom was unknown to man. Remember this? Job he says, the witless can no more become wise than a wild donkey's coat can be born human. And he's saying to Job, you are witless. You're an idiot, Job, because you have no knowledge of anything. We have become enlightened. We know a lot more than you do, Job. And one of these days, maybe, you can come close to touching the hem of our wisdom garment, but not now. I think it's beyond your, the scope of your ability. But then Zophar believed that wisdom was unknown to man. But look at what, how Job responds to that. He says, you know, ask the animals, verse 7 and following. They will teach you, or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you, or speak to the earth, and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. You know what, guys, Job is saying? Animals and nature know more than you know. So why don't you just confer with them? Ask them, 
and they'll tell you. Wow. So he says, which of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? Even nature in its instinctive behavior understands the sovereignty of God. Which you do not, Job is saying to his three friends. I don't know why we call them friends. But that's what we do. So look at Job's three affirmations here. Number one is God's greatness. Beginning in verse 9 of chapter 12, he continues by saying, uh, Which of all of these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? It's in his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. God has in his hand our life, our very life. The Bible says the days of our lives are numbered by the Lord. He knows exactly the beginning and the end of our life. I saw on a tombstone recently where they listed the date of birth for this particular deceased individual. They called it sunrise, and when he died, they called it sunset. God knows the sunrises and sunsets on each of our lives. He knows it. The animals know it. They understand their life is, has a termination point. And so Job is saying that, that God has even your breath, the same breath that you're breathing to spew out this venom, these accusations on Job. God has given you the breath to do so. Without God, you would have no ability to even breathe. Does not the ear test words as the tongue tests food? Surely that God has given us the ability to taste food. He also gives us the, the ability to discern truth and wisdom. And then in verse, that verse 13, to God belong wisdom. He is all wise. Every, James would say every good and perfect wisdom, every good and perfect thought, every knowledge comes from God himself. He is wise and he grants us to have wisdom himself. God is powerful. Same verse. He has, gives him wisdom and power. What he tears down cannot be rebuilt. Those he imprisons cannot be released. He is sovereign. If he holds back the waters, there is drought. If he lets them loose, they devastate the land. There are floods. God controls the flow of water. He can curtail it. He can overflow its banks. And he says, what he tears down cannot be rebuilt. To him belongs strength and insight. Both deceived and deceiver are his. He leads rulers away stripped and makes fools of judges. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows officials long established. He silences the lips of trusted advisors and takes away the discernment of elders. He pours contempt on nobles and disarms the mighty. He reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness into the light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and disperses them. He deprives the leaders of the earth of their reason. He makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in darkness with no life. He makes them stagger like drunkards. What is he saying? God is sovereign. He is in complete control. What he does cannot be undone. And what he undoes cannot be redone. 
God is in control. He's in control of governments. He's in control of countries. He's in control of political parties. He's in control of powers and authorities. He can unseat them at His will. We need to remember that in our prayers for our nation and for other nations as well. Be in prayer. He is also in control of the individuals, the kings, the the politicians, those who claim rule over a people. He has complete authority over them as well. He can cause them to rise in power. He can cause them to fall in power. He can cause them to be resolute in their walk with Him. Or if they choose not to be resolute in their walk with Him, He can shame them or destroy them. God is all-powerful. That's the greatness of God. And the second provision, or the second affirmation of Job is God's goodness. You see, chapter 13, my eyes have seen all of this, Job is saying. My ears have heard and understood it. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. Why would he mess with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar? Why not take his case directly to the Lord God Almighty? Which is what he's doing. He says, You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians. All of you. Wow. Bring it on, Job. I mean, you've been sitting there listening to all of this. You're worthless physicians. You see, Job is saying they have been absolutely useless to him in in their counsel, in what they've told him. They have not been an encouragement to him. They have uh, superior attitudes as judges and could not identify with Job and his grief and his pain. Worthless physician. You know what you are, guys, Job is saying? You're just quacks. You're just a quack. You, you dispense uh, a prescription or a remedy that has no effect. It's not even a placebo. It's not even that good. It's nothing to me. I have received nothing good from you. You're worthless physicians. We ought to, got to be careful when we give counsel or when we make recommendations to other people that we're not worthless physicians, that we're not people that, that are giving out wise, uh, unwise counsel or unwise uh, recommendations to them. We've got to be careful that we don't just interject what we think is right without consulting the Lord in His Word. Be careful. And be careful of the counsel that you receive. Sometimes we have worthless physicians that are trying to tell us what to do, where to do it, how to do it, with whom to do it, and when to do it. And in reality, sometimes their advice is worthless. Sometimes they are worthless physicians. He says, if only you would all be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. Remember, for seven days, these friends sat with Job watching his misery, seeing him on that ash heap, 
uh, knowing the, uh, the experiences that he had had with his family being killed and, and, and his fortunes all disappeared. And they sat and listened to him as he was in such physical misery. After seven days, the Bible says, Eliphaz decided to speak, and then the other two spoke. Their big mistake was not being able to empathize with Job in his experience, with his pain, his suffering, his, his circumstance. But boy, they were willing to give out this worthless prescription. And so he says, not only are you worthless physicians, but he continues on, if only you would be altogether silent for you, that would be wisdom. Hear now my argument. Listen to the pleas of my lips. And he says, will you speak wickedly on God's behalf? You're speaking wickedly. Are you saying that it's because God has told you to speak that way? Sometimes we hear people speaking, thus saith the Lord, when in reality the Lord did not say that. Sometimes we hear it on television. We hear it in TV and movies. We see it in books. We read it in print. Sometimes we hear it verbally. This is what God told me to say to you. I've had people over the years say the same thing. Pastor, you know what God told me to tell you? I said, I don't know. We serve the same one, don't we? He hasn't spoken to me about that particular issue. But when he does, I'll listen. But be careful, folks. Be careful about speaking on behalf of God to somebody else without conferring to him, without knowing that your counsel is godly. And be careful about taking certain counsel from people without measuring it against God's word. He says... And then he says, will you show him partiality? Will you argue the case for God? And in verse 9, I love this. He said, would it turn out well if he examined you? Whoa, self-examination. We talked about that last week. How would you fare under the light of God's holiness? How would you fare if you were to subject yourself to the same counsel, to the same questioning uh, that Job's friends are questioning him. How would you fare under that same examination? Job is saying, how would you come out, guys? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, would it turn out well if he examined you? Could you deceive him as you might deceive a mortal? In other words, Job is saying, there's a lot about you that's not truthful. About all of us, if, if some of us think that we can only reveal a portion of our lives to the Lord. You know, we like to have compartments in our life. Our week is compartmentalized. We, we let God in on Sunday morning. And then we go about our other activities the other six and a half days of the week. We do. We let God into certain areas of our lives, certain compartments. And then we think, we think 
that we have eliminated him from other areas. Oh, Lord, you can, you can have this area of my life, but, you know, this one over here. Not my business concerns. Not my bank account. No, I don't think so. Or, or not my relationships. Or, or, or not these particular things that I'm involved with. No, not those. What would they do if God examined them? What would you do today if God, through His Holy Spirit, began to examine your life? And he does every day. How would you deal with it? But then I want you to see the great declaration of faith from Job. Verses 13 through 17. He says, your maxims are, keep silent and let me speak. He says, uh, keep silent and let me speak. Then let it come to what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Now, have you come to that place in your life? I think for all of us, life takes on a different dimension when all of a sudden, by faith, we trust God to the extent that says, Lord, if today, for some reason, you want to take my life, I'm okay with that. Do you feel that way? I do. I'm looking forward to the journey, quite frankly. Have you come to that place? There's a saying that says, we are not really prepared to live until we have actually prepared ourselves to die. Because when we prepare ourselves to die, this is what Job is saying. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Now understand, Job is making these statements centuries before Jesus came to this earth. He didn't know about the resurrection. He didn't know about the empty tomb. He didn't know about the Messiah on the cross and his sanctification of his blood and life and for you and me. He didn't know, know any of those things. What he did know was that he served a God that loved him. He doesn't understand his circumstances. He doesn't understand his situation. He doesn't understand any of these things. And yet he says, if God were to slay me today, if he were to take my life today, I still trust in him. I have hope in him. Can you say that? Wow. We've got to come to that place, people. Well, we're not afraid to live because we have faced the inevitable day that we will die. And when we do that, the Lord begins to use us for His glory. Because then we begin to face each day with such a joy. There's not a gloom about us. There's not a reluctance about us to go about our business thinking, what if, what if today something happens to me and I don't return home? We can say with Job, so what? Though he slay me, I will have hope in him. I will trust in him. Mm. Job declares his faith. He says in verse 15, I will surely defend my ways to his face. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. God is enough, Job is saying. Let me put it this way. In today's terminology, if Jesus is all that you have, 
Jesus is all that you need. Okay? He's everything that you need, all rolled up into one. If He's all you have, He's all you need. Now look at the final. This is Job's grievance, his, his three affirmations. He spends the greater part of chapter 13 and all through chapter 14 airing his grievances towards God, wanting to meet with God personally. If, you, if I were in a court, Lord, and you were to meet me face to face, you can call me and I will answer. Or I can call you and you will answer. However you want it, Lord, but I really need a face to face with you. And then he continues, he says in chapter 13, verse 20, he says, just remove your hand. Here's what I'm asking. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me. Stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer. Or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. He's asking him. What do I need to do to rectify this situation? I'll do whatever it takes. That God would come to him in, in such a way that he would not be frightened is that lifestyle that he has. David did the same thing in his Psalms. He cried out to God that he would be known. In chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, he says, there's the brevity of life. Mortals born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers, wither away. Like fleeting shadows, they do not endure. James says your life is as a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. Oh, we think that we have a long life at 80, 90, 100 years. And that's really not, that's, that's one grain of sand on the beach of time. You look at it that way and you think, God, this is, it's, but here's where he comes. Job knows that there is life yet to come. Look down at verses 14 and 15 of chapter 14. He says, If someone dies, will they live again? Keep in mind that this is old Hebrew theology. He's not asking if they will live again on the face of this earth. He's asking if they will live again, is there an eternal existence? He knows that there is life after death. He knows that God, in whom he has his hope and faith and trust, he says, surely, he says, if a person dies, will they live again? He says, all the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call, and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Is that not the prayer of a man of faith? Oh, you, you, you sense Jeremiah's image of the potter and the clay. You sense all of this uh, crea creation story. Job is saying, you know, the person that you created, I'm but a shell of that person right now physically. I'm nothing like the one that I was before all of this calamity hit me. But yet, Lord, I know that there is life after death and you're in control. 
and you're going to call the one that, that you have woven in his mother's womb, that you have fashioned to be the man that he is today. And I know, Lord God, that there is life after life. Wow. He knows that there is an eternity. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 11 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet clearly seen. And then he continues in verse 6 of that chapter by saying, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, you can't be an atheist. You must believe that He exists. And not only that, let's take it one step further, that is, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, for those of us that diligently seek Him, we know that there's an eternal, eternity. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, Jesus said. Do you believe this? He asked Martha. And the question comes back to you and me today. Like Job, prior to Jesus' appearance on planet earth and his empty tomb, he knew somehow, there's an eternal existence. We, like C.S. Lewis said, if you think that there's, if you come to discover that there's nothing on this earth that can fully satisfy, it's proof positive that you were created for another world. You were created for another world. Now here is what I, how I'm going to leave it to you. You and I were created for eternity. Ecclesiastes says that God has placed in the eternity in the hearts of man. You know you were created for an eternity. The question is, where are you going to spend it? Will you spend it with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in Him and Him alone? Or will you spend it separated in a place we call hell, which is separated from God for all eternity? The decision is yours. God doesn't send you there. You send yourself there through your own response or lack of it. So where will you spend eternity is the question that Job is posing to you today. Do you know where you're going to be? If you were to die, when you wake up tomorrow morning and, and you say with confidence like Job, hey, though my Creator slay me, I'll still have hope in Him. If this is the day that He chooses, that He has placed on the calendar for me to meet Him in glory, I'm good with that. Can you say that by faith in Jesus Christ alone? Or are you undecided? Maybe you feel like, I, don't, I really don't know. I've never made that decision. I've never been a part of a church family that's asked me that question directly. I don't know today there will be an invitation for you to come and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've already trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, there will be an invitation for you to unite with His church family.
or to rededicate your life or to follow him in public profession and baptism. But that will come in just a few moments. Right now, the, it is our tradition on the first Sunday of each month to observe the Lord's Supper. Now, we have different containers today than we've had in the past. Okay? Those of you that are in the pews or those of you that are at home or watching online, if you would grab your bread or some substance, here these new containers, the bread is at one end and the juice is at the other end. Okay? It's not hard. <laughs> it really isn't. And I want to remind you of two things. Number one, this is the Lord's table. Whether you're a member of this church or not, is irrelevant toward this. We know this is the Lord's table. This is His observance. This is our remembrance of what He did. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I strongly invite you to participate in this event. If you're in the pews, it's in the cup holders. If you're on the side, it's in baskets. But before we do that, secondly... I want you to prepare your heart. The Bible says that everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So examine your hearts in these next few moments. may we never forget the misery you endured that day on the cross. Wisdom and strength belong to God. Counsel and understanding are His. He reveals mysteries from darkness and brings the deepest darkness into the light. That day, the deepest darkness of our sin, you bore, Lord God. So we thank you for that great mystery. But we always, Lord God, will give you our humble adoration for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on that night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Mike, would you lead us in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time to truly remember your son's sacrifice, the cup and the blood of Jesus Christ that heals us. Thank you for your kindness. For when we were far away, you sought us out and sent the perfect sacrifice, the perfect life to die for us. We confess during this time of examination that we fall so short of any worthiness for your sacrifice. But it speaks of you, the God of love. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Bible says... In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Today is a special day for all of us, for it is a day that we have entered into worship with the Lord, and the Lord has entered into worship service with us and so he has placed on you decisions that need to be made even now I'll be here at the front to pray with you about any decision the Lord is leading you won't you come let's stand as we sing the hymn